welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. You're too loud. How you doing? I'm worried about your levels. Well, it's, it's going to go back down. It always, it's boisterous at the top and, you know. That's that's what they say. It's lonely and boisterous at the top. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you all we, we do a sound check. This happens mm-hmm. all the time, and you test low. That that <laughs> man, that's true. That's very saying, true. Even when you're trying to speak up for the test, because you know you do it, you still yeah. talk. I don't know what it like. I think if a a switch flips in your brain that you don't have control over, it and is, you get louder when we're actually recording. It is the the performer in me and i know that sounds silly but like but it, i mean anytime i mean you know this you ran sound for bus stop right but a professional performer would know how to do a sound check I'm not professional well. oh right there we go <laughs> i've only been paid to act once or twice in my life and that was well over 10 years ago but uh you know i, I like to bring the magic you know and uh, this magic was brought to you by okay uh thanks for that you're welcome um, not at all conspicuous. I, I want to try was... and work it in, you know. <laughs> uh, no, um, I want to bring our guest in. I have something to talk about at the top of the show, but I want to get our guest's opinion. Okay. Um, we're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Film Festival okay. today. Um, and because I attended, Tyler, you did not. I did not. You didn't see nothing. You ain't seen nothing. Not uh, yet. <laughs> not yet, and not, nor will you. Uh, but our guest did. mm uh, from Nerdist.com, it's Kyle Anderson. Hello, everyone. And you know what? Nerdist, with all due respect, they can go fuck themselves. Because the thing <laughs> is, you're also a member of the BP Podcasting fleet. That's true. With your show, What the Fuck Are You Watching? That's true. All right? That's right. That is his lead credit when he is on this show. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it is. Okay. It's the one. Nope. <laughs> yep. How's everyone doing? <laughs> and that's the magic you can hear. Yep. Uh, that's <laughs> internal self-editing. No, I want to. I want to bring something up. Um, I mentioned LA Film Fest. Now that's, now that's at a uh, what is it? A it's a Regal, cinema. a Regal Cinema. That's yep. The, but it's not. You're not going to see the movies that are usually there. You're seeing the film festival right. movies. Um, and uh, so it has occurred to me that I have become because of a the kind of movies I watch and b the kind, the reason the fact that I get to go to uh press screenings I don't know if I ever mentioned it on the show before but I get to go to press you screenings. You haven't mentioned it in a while. It's um, worth it's worth mentioning. Uh actually seeing a mainstream movie in a mainstream theater like paying to go see it is something that I honestly I don't know. I think maybe The Hangover Part 2 mm. was the last time that I did that. I was trying to think of when was the last time I saw like a big studio release at a mainstream theater. Well, define mainstream. Uh, a chain theater, I guess, but not not a landmark or a Lemley. Okay. Because I saw Hangover Part 3 and I saw Dark Knight Rises right. at a Lemley, which yeah. is, they don't have them all over the country, but Lemley is a... It's a smaller chain. And, and it's it also has a lot of art, art house stuff yeah. um, as well. They, they have a mix. So they, yeah. ca- they cater to a certain crowd. So I enjoy going to see them there. Last night, gentlemen... I finally caught up with Edge of Tomorrow. Doug mm. Edge of Tomorrow. I'd heard nothing but good things. Um, as I said on Instagram, I'd read good things about it, so I went to see it because film criticism is alive and well. <laughs> yeah. Um, it worked. Uh, it got me to the theater, and I went to the Pacific Theaters at the Grove to see it. Okay. okay. Um, and that's about as mainstream a, a location as you yeah. can get. And now, the actual movie experience, once the movie started, yeah. it was fine. Mm-hmm. 
I got to, because I'm the kind of type of person who tends to get there early. Plus, I took the bus from work, so I kind of couldn't like manage. I couldn't be very specific about how early I was there. So I was there like almost half an hour early, just sitting there. And if I were half an hour early to a movie at a landmark or or even at the ArcLight, uh, I could sit and read in peace, right? Mm-hmm. But a, I mean, the clientele is a, a lot more kids at the Pacific, so mm-hmm. a lot more talking, which is fine. I, okay, you know, I'm a little bit curmudgeonly or whatever that annoys me a little bit. But kids will be kids. That's fine. They're teenagers. But the ads. Not the ads like once it's like okay movie time and then there's like some commercials before the trailers. There's ads blaring. Yeah, the second there's you walk in, commercials yeah. playing for yeah. a whole twenty minutes up until the movie, the start time of the movie, and then you have to sit through a commercial and six fucking trailers. Yeah, I was. I think I'm sure the people uh, sitting. It was a full house. I mean, for a movie that isn't doing, you know, gangbusters after being out for two and a half weeks, it was yeah. a pretty packed house on a Tuesday night. Uh, I like to, night, I like actually. to believe that uh, uh, it's that word of mouth that it's still possible. Uh, yeah, that we're uh, doing it. Um, again, film criticism is live and well. But the the people in my row and around me must have thought I was insane because every like I was like grinding my teeth. <laughs> I think I was like so visibly annoyed. And then every time a new trailer would come up, I'd just be like, "Oh fuck!" Like not I'm, <laughs> I'm overdoing a little bit here, but I think I was. I think it was pretty obvious that I was annoyed. Uh, and I, I, I don't. I guess the point of this is: Do you guys go to movie these sort of movies at these sort of places more often than I do? Admittedly, I do try. To, it's this is a very in, almost an inherently snobbish conversation. Uh-huh. I try to avoid it if I can. And to me, the the most mainstream you can get is AMC. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I try not to go, but occasionally, for one reason or another, uh, I find myself having to see a midnight show because I'm talking about it on some other podcast. Um, oh, like before it opens. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's and AMC is usually the best option because they'll probably have two or three if it's a big movie. Yeah. And so I've got options there. And sidebar: so, Have you noticed that they've started showing big movies at like nine p.m. the yeah. night before? Yeah, I don't. And then when the Lemley started doing it at ten p.m. Uh, yeah. for certain movies, not it's it can't be yeah. counted on every week. But it's those like, are wonderful. I like. Yeah, those. it's yeah. like when I growing up as a kid. On Christmas Eve, we went to Midnight Mass, and Midnight Mass was at midnight. Yeah. And then at a certain point, they started having Midnight Mass at, like, 10 p.m. Which was amazing. So people <laughs> could get their kids home. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think... I mean, I, when I was a kid, I liked staying up late, but I also didn't love Mass, so I was okay with it. It's probably a wash, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, and so... Last, uh, day, last time I was at an AMC theater might have been jay edgar was that like two and a half oh, years ago oh man yeah yeah i went and saw the um oh gosh the midnight showing of the amazing spider-man 2 because i was talking about it on uh, on out now with aaron and abe and um oh that's not mine sorry <laughs> uh i was a phone went off and i thought it was mine and so um and that experience full house mm-hmm. that experience was I was so terrified. I was terrified getting there. I was terrified as I sat down and it's a full house of just, pardon me, jackasses. Just the worst people. Then. But probably, like, you mean teenagers? Or like grown jackasses? Because teenagers are jackasses. All of the above. All the above. Uh, And so it's like, I wish, I wish I had, I wish it was quiet enough that I could uh, hear the ads. And then someone brings out the beach ball. 
and it starts what? bouncing around. <laughs> now the, okay, you know what? I'm now, kind of on board now. Now the movie hasn't started yet, and I just think like this is going to be uh, like I knew this was going to be bad. I did not think it was beach ball bad, um, which I do feel like it can be its own designation at this point. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and so then and it's like. And you don't know how much of a curmudgeon you could be until you start thinking, if that beach ball comes to me, I'm just going to keep it. I'm just going to. Oh, it's I'd, mine now. I it's mine be, now, I'd kids. have my keys out. I'd be ready. Oh. <laughs> I'd be ready <laughs> Absolutely. But then it's like, okay, well, these people are also, you know, if they're this inhibited, they're going to punch me right in the face. <laughs> uh, but here's the crazy thing. Much to my surprise. Trailers start. Beach ball goes away. Uh-huh. Uh, everyone quiets down a little bit. There's still a little bit of chat. Dull, dull a little, roar. Uh, dull roar, yes. Uh, movie starts totally quiet. Everyone, and I was just, and that's when I realized that, like, in some cases, the midnight movie brings out people that genuinely want to see this yeah. thing. Yeah. And so I was surprised, but by and large, I do try to avoid AMC. I, I'm a big fan of Lemley. Uh, yeah. And, and I would, I'd probably like the Arclight more, but it's just, it's just so. Uh, have you guys been to the Lemley in Pasadena? That no. one is old and decrepit, and okay. pe- um, it's, the, it's, yeah. it's called like the. I know what you're talking about. I think I've been there. Yeah, I think like it's in Colorado. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yes, I went to um, see uh, Jodorowsky's Dune there a few like a month ago because um, it was the last place in town that it was playing. Uh, when at like a mm-hmm. ten o'clock show, it was me and my th- two friends who are also grown ups, <laughs> and we are sitting there, and it's not uh, empty by any means. Uh, it's the worst people ever. And they're not, they're not like kids who you're like, Oh, I expect you to be, this is a documentary about a weird, obscure movie that didn't get made. Yeah. Yeah. There is a woman behind us snores through half the film. (laughs) This is just old lady come by herself to fall asleep, I guess. And then there are these three people in front of us who, two of whom are making out and like canoodling within (laughs) up until like the first five minutes of the movie. Oh, but then they were transfixed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but we yeah, had like, to tell wait, them. Nicholas to be... Vending Refn is one of the talking heads <laughs> yeah. in this movie. We had to I... tell them to be quiet. Like oh. I was like, "I'm sorry, could you be quiet?" And they were like, mm. "You know, they give you that look like you're the asshole, yeah. right. which is the worst <laughs> look in the whole wide world." Um, <laughs> so we've gotten, like you said, this has been pretty snobby. Yeah. But my real point is about the ads, about okay, how yes. oh yeah, I you can't even sit in the theater and wait for the movie to start. You can't have a conversation with somebody. Like, I'll no, often yeah. go to a movie with another person, and I like to have a conversation with them beforehand, and can't. that's out. Yeah. Because sometimes an ad will be something that I want to see. Like, oh, it's an ad for that Fargo show. Damn it. Well, uh-huh. okay, let's put this on pause for a moment. Oh, the movie's now starting. Yeah. And Are- then, I mean, I, there are so many trailers. I can't, like, you forget what movie you paid to see. Totally. It's, it's, it's been, it feels like it's been half an hour. I, and that's, the arc light, yeah, you're, you're right. It's expensive, but there's no ads. There's not even, like... Silent ads. There's nothing right. on the screen until start time, and they show three trailers. Yep. Yeah. And then you're into the into the movie. Well, I also think that like trailers, just in general, has gotten way too long. The just in you know, I remember when well, they no, would the sh- theater owners association wants trailers to get uh, shorter. Good. But because they want to show more of them, oh. <laughs> not because they want it to be shorter. Why? Yeah, they want to show. I don't know why. The the problem now is that as soon as a big movie comes out all the trailers that are attached to that big movie also come out on the internet so that you can, so yeah. everyone's like, you got to check out this new trailer. So by the time I go there, it's not even a surprise anymore yeah. because yeah. you know, through my work with an entertainment website, I have to look at all these trailers already beforehand. So it's just a waste of time. Like, uh, 
uh, a friend of mine doesn't even show up to the movie if he's going to a big one. Like, say it starts at 2, he won't even show up until 2.10, and then he'll just sit right down and mm-hmm. hopefully only see the last, like, two seconds of a trailer because yeah. he's just so tired of trailers. And I don't, I don't really blame him because it's yeah. just like it's it, it adds so much more time to most blockbusters now are incredibly long movies anyway so it's just it just compounds it yeah and we had a we did our summer summer movie preview with josh fadem he was decrying that like uh the death of the movie going experience that so many movies are coming out on vod and stuff like that um and apparently part of the equation is that the movie going experience for most people is fucking terrible yeah that's the thing is i mean it's like somebody shooting themselves in the in the foot and be like, "Oh, the death of feet." It's like, no, no, it's you yeah. did this to yourself in many cases, and uh, and it is unfortunate. Um, but it's, there are still some theaters that do it right, and that's and that's the key. Do, it's my first thought is now, of course, the Pacific Theater at the Grove. That's a different thing, but and I guess Pacific is a mainstream chain, but I don't yeah. think of it as such because I don't I don't know the last time I've been to a Pacific Theater. I think it used to be bigger. Okay. In fact, actually, there used to be some sort of, I don't know if it was the same owners or there was an agreement between like Pacific and Arclight were managed by the same hmm. people. I think they've since split. Okay. But I know it uh, used to be that Arclight employees also got in free at the Grove. Oh, inter- okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's... Um, this is uh, like eight years ago. Right? Oh. And then I've never been to the... Uh, I know one that people really like is the Vista. I've never been to the Vista. You've never been to the Vista? To my knowledge, no. It's a It's a landmark. Have you been to the Vista? I don't know. Where is that? On uh, at Sunset and Virgil. Oh. So that's a landmark theater, is what you're saying? No, I'm saying <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a uh, Vista theater. Yeah, it's privately yeah. it's owned by the people who own the Los Feliz Three are on the corner, mm-hmm. also on the Vista. They just own those two, and it is a uh, absolutely essential part of living in Los Angeles. You have to go oh, to the Vista. I've not been there, but it's one. Of, it's one of the few places in town that still shows stuff on 35, right? Yes, yes. And also, they have. Uh, it's a great old uh, old theater with it still has some of the older like you know decorations up or whatever I don't know what the the design inside is nice and also it's like they took a theater and took out every other row so you have mm, uh, yes. lots of leg room I like that uh, it's fantastic my only um, suggestion if you go to the to the movie the Vista try to sit in the middle section because um, the way the speakers are laid out there if you're too close to one side or the other mm. it uh it's it's not very well balanced like mm. you know the second time i saw the avengers it gave me a headache because i was hearing like one half of the stereo mix Ugh. super loud yeah. and like missing a lot of the other stuff it's like dialogue was getting lost and stuff so yeah try to sit oh, in wow. the middle that reminds me of growing up uh not growing up but um when my my car um which has sadly bit the dust um i installed the speakers in it so uh-huh. obviously one of them wasn't working um <laughs> The only time I'd listen to the Beatles, I'd only get because, you know, those are very highly stereo mixed. And so I'd get like uh, maybe the bass and the vocal. And that was it. <laughs> Same with the for some reason, the like the however, whatever anniversary uh, Ramones first album. I was like super pumped to listen to that in my car. And all I got was the bass and Joey. And it's like, well, that's like not <laughs> that's <laughs> you're literally missing half of the song that way. The Beatles became this delightful double act with Ringo Starr and George Harrison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but did you see that Marky Ramone is going to be at Comic-Con? The one who's left? Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. 
He will be Marky Ramon will be at Comic Con. Uh, have uh, any of you started to get back to theaters real fast? Have you any, any, either of you been to the um, the Sundance Sunset Five? Yeah, it's fantastic. Not yeah. since it became that. Uh, I hadn't either until just this week. And it's unrecognizable. It is absolutely unrecognizable because when it was a Lemley, it was a it was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I liked it. I had a lot of memories. Sure. They, of, the, yeah. Yeah. But but. Uh, yeah, it was pretty it is, run down. It is swanky now. Like, uh, everything's a love seat. So it's basically two seats, and then there's, like, a partition. Oh, and nice. then there's two more seats and a partition. It's great. And also, it's, uh, like, it's, how did they find the room to turn? No idea. Uh, you know, it was, a th- it was they, I mean, the theater had a raked floor before, but it was not stadium seating. Right. And now it is. And it, yeah, and it's, it's really weird. Luxury. I, they must have taken out whatever was next door. I think there was that gym. Is that still there, the gym? Uh, yeah, crunch. Is that a crunch? Yeah, it's a crunch. That's where there they used to be. There used to be two Virgin Mega stores in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, when I first moved here. Yeah. That was one How of them. How many are there now? Zero. zero. There are zero oh, Virgin Mega stores anywhere. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's not a thing that exists anymore. Um, now they're deflowered Mega stores. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Hey. All right. I think that's uh, time yeah, enough to done. move on. Um, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a fun conversation. So my point it of view. It was fun for people that live in Los Angeles, certainly. No, I think my Thankfully, point of view you was, were speaking to larger things and then it became very specific for us. Uh, yeah. But my point of view is if you can afford a couple extra bucks to go to like a more specialty theater, um, it's probably worth it. Yeah. Uh, what Maybe I won't some do, people don't care. What I won't do. I mean, I, I, maybe someday I'll have to try it. Okay. Because we are getting a draft house out here downtown. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a nightmare to me. To no, me, it's like, not a nightmare uh, at all. A, a restaurant like smelling other people's food, hearing like cutlery on the plate, like it sounds like a nightmare to me. I've been to the ones in Austin several times, and it it's great. Like everyone there is better than what anywhere else like and the fact that um <laughs> just better than they're us. just better than us in austin texas no um you write down what you want i mean they come around beforehand they get your drink orders and stuff they write you write down what you want and you put it in a thing they walk by there's room in between the seat behind, your seat okay. and then the the next level up and you have like your your uh counter in front of you that you can eat on they come around and pick it up they come back and they set it and it's like uh, it's below your eye level, uh-huh. so they just set your food up, and then you can just eat. And then when you, it's it's great. Like and no, wh- and they're even more strict about texting and talking yeah, than I anywhere get, else in the world. I, I don't like hearing people eat popcorn in a movie theater. Like maybe it's just me. Like the idea of being around people eating seems overly distracting. Like the sounds and especially the smells. Well, well, if you're also eating, then it's not really much of a problem. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Can you go to a movie at a draft house and not eat? Yeah, you can. Okay. It's it's your prerogative. The, wait, the wait, you want to be an asshole. Yeah, the waiters and waitresses aren't going to be like, oh, fuck this guy. You know. No, like, I mean, I've, I've only ever gone as a dinner function. Okay. But, um, but you can get beer there. Yeah, you can do that at the Sundance Sunset as well. Yeah, you can, which I did not partake in because it was one in the afternoon, which is not that would not that's not against me. the rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to see a Stranger by the Lake there uh, alone, and I looked at the runtime of the movie, and I was like probably gonna need two beers (laughs) so i went to the counter and i got two beers and then i like pretended like i was looking for my friend 
<laughs> like, oh, he must have already gone into the theater. I'm just, and I carried my two beers into the theater. Oh, that's great. <laughs> there must be a lot. There must have been a lot because you know the nature of that movie. There's a lot of naked men there, or just naked people in general, and yeah. you're there no, alone. <laughs> There's no, only just, men in that movie. But like, what? Even if it was like just, uh, oh, I see what you mean. Like, like I look like uh, you look like just a. It's like I'm gonna get drunk, be alone, and and enjoy these uh, naked bodies. If you'll excuse me. <laughs> The Double Feature Podcast, this week looking back at the last 52 weeks of episodes. In this episode, they talk about the best and worst movie pairings, as well as what they got wrong and what surprised them. They also discuss movie reviewers and the career of Roger Ebert. To listen to this episode, as well as the past episodes discussed, just go to doublefeatureshow.com or click on the ad at battleshippretension.com. All right, um... We're going we're gonna to talk about the LA Film Fest. But first, I want to talk to you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com. Have you heard of it, Kyle? Uh, you know what? I have heard of it. Okay, well, this is where you go. So you probably know. You're in the know. Uh, uh, you I have a pair myself. Good. Good. Nice. Everyone should. Uh, and the way you become cool like Kyle is to go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. He's and wearing what, sunglasses right now. Indoors. And at night. Tweakedaudio.com without the, the, the slash pretension at the end is already your home for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. Mm-hmm. But uh, by going to that tweakedaudio.com, by going that extra mile, uh, slash pretension, you get that for one-third off and no mm-hmm. shipping charges. Again, that is tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. So let's get into it, shall we? Let's do it. Uh, Kyle, this was your uh, not your first time at the LA Film No, Fest. I think it was the second one. I think yeah, last year was too. the first one, yeah. Um. And I don't know how we want to do this. We want to just talk about our, our favorites. Uh, but um, what what would you say is your favorite thing that you saw at the LA Film Fest? Um, I saw some... I, I didn't get to see that much because uh, I was out of town for the first little bit. I also... I should, yeah, I should say for uh, scheduling reasons, also the festival was two days shorter than it was last year. Mm. I don't know. I looked that up. Uh, yeah, I also didn't see nearly as much as I saw last year. But I saw a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I did too. Um well, first of all, they opened last year. They opened the the with you know they, with a, like a big Hollywood premiere, and last year they opened with Man of Steel, which I did see last year. Uh, this year it was Snowpiercer, um, which I didn't see at the festival, but I have seen. Okay, um, I still haven't seen it. It's great. It's, it's really, great. really really good. Um, uh, which I think is an interesting choice to go with. I mean, because that's you know it's a bigger movie, mm-hmm. but it's not Man of Steel. You know what I mean? Like it's. Right. It's not a giant blockbuster. Um, they also did, weirdly, those pre-festival screenings of How to Train Your Dragon 2 and 22 Jump Street. I don't know if you saw those. No. It was like earlier in the week, and they were matinee screenings. Like oh, weird. Weekdays of those movies that didn't come out until that Friday. Mm. I don't know how that... that it, maybe it, it was... It wasn't on the original schedule. It got added later. Maybe it was to give people who were going to the... Like, film critics who were going to the festival a chance to see those movies. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. This is me thinking. I'm thinking for you, LA Film <laughs> Fest. Um, uh, b- the the thing that I saw when I actually started, you know, going to the the festival that I really liked this year was uh, Frank. I think that was my favorite, which is um, uh, I can't remember who directed it. And that oh, I'm going to tell you in a second. Okay, um, but those of you who don't know about Frank, it's uh, we need to talk about Frank. No, uh, it's. <laughs> um, Michael Fassbender plays a guy named Frank who is this weird avant-garde musician who, who wears a paper mache head the whole time, um, which is just the creepiest looking thing. And, uh, he's in this weird band, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's in it and Scoot McNary's like their manager and they're in, uh, uh, England doing a show and, um, 
Domino Gleason, who is this like wannabe rock star um, keyboardist. And he, he, because their keyboardist tries to kill himself by walking directly into the water, um, <laughs> they're like, we need somebody else. So they get Domino Gleason to come on. He goes on stage. It ends after five minutes because they just implode. And then eventually Scoot McNary calls him up and is like, hey, we're going to go to Ireland. Do you want to come? And he was like, yeah, great. And then he doesn't realize that uh, instead of a gig, which is what he planned for, it's actually a year of recording an album <laughs> in the Nowheresville of Ireland. But who's, who's the he in this in this case? Domino Gleeson? Domino Gleeson, yeah. Okay, so is he really this, the lead? He's the main character, yeah. Okay. He, um, he is, it's based on the writings of this guy, John Ronson, who's, who he wrote the the article that The Men Who Stared Goats is based on. Oh, okay. um, but the director's name is Lenny Abramson. Okay, yes. Um, or... Technically Abrahamson, but I'm guessing he probably pronounces it. You're probably right. He probably takes a shortcut there. I would. <laughs> I would too. That's a, a whole syllable that you yeah. can say. <laughs> um, um, I forgot what I was about to say, but anyway, John Ronson. Yeah, that's it. Uh, John Ronson. So he followed this, uh, this guy around, uh, Chris Sivey is the guy's name, um, who wore a big giant head like that and uh went on stage as frank sidebottom which was like this weird pseudo comedy character that he would do um apparently there's like a statue erected to frank sidebottom in manchester i want to say somewhere in england um but it looks like it's almost the exact same head and um and then there's some other like weird avant-garde musicians who it's kind of based on um Hmm. but it was i I, it was hysterical everybody plays their own instruments which is amazing because megan gyllenhaal plays a theremin which i've heard is impossible to learn how to play um and it's it's yeah it's weird and cool and i really i i laughed a lot but it's also like it deals a lot with mental illness because this man is clearly insane uh that's um, I'll go back to the mental illness thing because the, one of the, my favorite movies also that I saw there also dealt with that. But um, I didn't know I, I had heard. I guess I had heard it talked about so much as this new movie that Michael Fassbender's in, and I didn't know that Domino Gleeson was the the lead. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of that guy. Yeah, he's gr- he. I only had seen him in um, About Time, but I really liked that movie um, a lot. Dread. Did he's you, in Dread, and I like him. He's a lot in Dread. Dread. Yeah, he's I've the, seen uh, Dread. He's a like security surveillance oh, guy. Yeah, right. That may or may not ever get to sleep because uh, just based on like stuff that's been implanted into his head and stuff like that and just he seems like he's basically a slave yeah. for the uh, the villain is is a very good performance did you see now i know you're a fan of british television yes. did you see the series black mirror no okay We've seen that also it's fantastic by the way everyone should watch black i don't know why i asked that that's got to be the worst <laughs> follow-up question is or did you just bring him up out of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah black mirror is only six episodes and it's kind of, it's an anthology like twilight zone type anthology okay, series cool uh, but it's it's unbelievable and he plays he's in one where uh, like all, every episode takes place sort of in the near future and he plays a guy who dies in a car accident and his wife signs up for this service where they take that she sends him all of like access to his Twitter account and all his emails and everything. And they create his personality and then create a sort of robot version of him and inject a sort of simulated version of his personality into oh, interesting. it so that she can like try and live with this, this approximation of her dead husband. Mm-hmm. And he played, it was it's really, really good. One of the better ones. It's uh, interesting. You mentioned that about the Twitter. Cause that actually, uh, factors a lot into the movie frank because it's a lot of him tweeting or you know doing using tumblr blogs and it'll pop up on screen and you see how many followers he has and it's very few but people actually start following his you know um because he's tweeting about the progress of recording this ridiculous album um 
And so it, 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 I mean, it goes, it gets a little silly toward the end and I don't want to spoil, you know, the, the path that it takes, but, um, it's, it's, yeah, I, I thought it was really fresh and interesting. And, and like I said, everybody does their own instruments, which I didn't realize until afterwards. Um, and the music and it's good. Uh, it sounds actually more straightforward than I initially assumed, uh, based on admittedly, uh, visuals, mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of just thing. Still I, images. Yeah. Like I just, cause I didn't watch the trailer or anything right. like that. And, um, and I knew kind of what it was about, but it, it seemed, it, it just struck me as being a more surreal experience than, than what you're describing. Is it pretty straightforward in its execution? Yeah. It is. It's, I mean, it's, and it is a comedy. So like it, it acts like a comedy. Um, it's got the pacing of that. Um, but then there are just these moments of, uh, Oh no type of like, um, sadness or sort of despair, just kind of, if you've known anybody with a mental illness, it's kind of like, um, uh, it hits pretty close to home. Well, um, that'll get me into actually one of the thing the movie I want to talk about. I mean, if I were to talk about well, my my favorite movie that played at the festival is David Wayne's They Came Together. Yes, it's, I saw that too. It's that amazing, was great. and I wish that I could say it wasn't something that already had a big release. I want. I wish like my favorite could be like one of the truly indie like yeah. distributed movies. But that was my favorite. But uh, we can talk about that later or not. I've already talked about it on the show. However, you feel there's a review on the website. Uh, the movie I want to talk about is a documentary. Um, it's also involves mental illness and also includes uh, work from Scoop McNary. Mm. Uh, it's called The Life and Mind of Mark DeFriest. Uh, and it's about this guy who is uh, his, well, his psychiatrist describes him as uh, manic, paranoid, delusional. When he was about 19 years old, when his dad died, he went to his dad and stepmom's house and took some tools. His dad had not, he and his dad had like worked on cars together, and apparently his dad had said at some point, "I want you to have my tools when I'm gone." He took the tools. His mom, his stepmom, called the cops on him. Uh, he went to jail for theft. Was sentenced to four years mm. because of his mental illness, and also because he's incredibly intelligent and mechanically inept uh, or adept, and keeps finding ways to break out of prison. He was sentenced to four years in prison in like the late seventies and remains in prison to this day mm. because they keep extending his sentence or giving him more punishments or all these things because he is a problematic character, but he's a problematic prisoner. He's all, but he's also a, uh, an incredibly uh, charismatic and endearing person who is also mentally ill, mm-hmm. bordering. I mean, I, I think. The footage they get of him when he's interviewing, he seems to be on his best behavior. But the stories we hear about what the way he acts in his cell, like, you know, bashing his head against the wall until he uh, blacks out or whatever. Like, he's clearly insane. Mm. Uh, and it's um, this movie could be based on my description. This sounds like it could be a real bummer. <laughs> uh, and that's not the word I'd use. It's infuriating and it makes you want to stand up for mentally ill people who are yeah because um, he should not be in prison no, right? he, like he, no should, he should never have been in i mean uh, well initially yes but certainly well, it, now even, it seems like I mean, he even, be even a, his initial crime was just his stepmother being it, stepmother being vindictive because they didn't have a good relationship right you know uh i mean they were his dad's tools it's like yeah you could have found another way to deal yeah, with that's it. terrible um but yeah he should definitely not be in prison he should be under psychiatric care uh and that's the argument made by um the psychiatrist uh, uh anyway but it's not a bummer because it's told uh, it gets inside the because he's sort of this like charming fast talking good old boy type 
and it sort of takes on his personality. It has this real like energy to it and this it's sort of a rollicking good time uh especially when he he clearly revels in telling the stories of all the crazy shit that he's done to break out of these prisons mm-hmm. uh which some of it is crazy i mean some of it he like he jumped out of a window once and broke both his feet and ran like a mile and a half <sighs> just on adrenaline like got a mile and a half away before he realized my feet are broken and like broke down and uh anyway um he also uh dosed a um <laughs> an entire psych ward uh, coffee pot with LSD. Um, <laughs> uh, and so like, and he tells these stories and he's having a great time telling them. And the director, I can't remember his name. Uh, that's apparently going to be a, <laughs> a motif. Theme, yeah. Um, uh, animates these stories of his adventures oh, in prison. And, um, Scoot McNary pl- does the voice of Mark DeFriest. Hmm. And then Shea Wiggum does the voice of various authority figures, be they oh, cool. or guards or, I like or, him. or whatever. Shea Wiggum. Yeah. Do you realize... Sorry. I'm, I'm a big fan of Shea Wiggum. I just realized that he's in Wrist Cutters playing a really colorful, fun character. Shea Wiggum is? Yeah. I had no idea it was him. I haven't seen Wrist Cutters since... You and I saw it in the theater, right? Did we see it together? I think we did. I think so, yeah. And uh, it's not that good of a movie, but his character is like this uh, this Russian musician who's eccentric and funny. And, oh, okay. I, and I had no idea it was him. He's become a guy that we know his name now. Like he used to just be, he's that guy who kind of looks different in every movie. Right. Yeah. And now well, it's we like, know oh, his name. we do. Yeah. But yeah. I guess I didn't know his name for until just like last year, maybe. I wonder what, yeah. uh, I mean, I know him from boardwalk empire primarily. Right. I, I haven't watched. That. I think the thing that put me over the edge weirdly is even though it's only a two scene performance, but the Wolf of Wall Street where he's the, yeah. yacht, oh, yeah. the yacht captain. Yeah. He's great. But I remembered him. And at that point I was like, that was Michael Shannon's coworker and take shelter. Yes. Right. Yeah. And uh, he's, yeah. And he's in American hustle as well. Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. He's, he is very much that guy. And I think he's poised to be, uh, like we know his name. I think it's close to other people knowing it as well. Uh, if he gets, they're like going this. sham, sham wargum. <laughs> no, that's not right. They're right there. They're so yeah. close. Yeah. Uh, Seamus Wigwam. <laughs> um, uh, that's anyway. my pen name, by the uh, way. <laughs> so that's the life and mind of that sounds Mark, great. Mark DeFriest. Now I'll ask what I always ask when you, when you uh, give these recaps and I haven't seen any of these and I haven't gone to the, the festival. Um, what do we know as far as distribution? I mean, obviously, uh, they came together. That one's going to be okay, I think. That one's out already. But, yeah, uh, Landscape, yeah, yeah. that one. I don't know about this. I, I, I can't see this not getting distribution. But then again, my favorite thing probably that I saw at the festival last year was another documentary, The Expedition to the End of the World, right. which never officially got any. Mm-mm. It's only played festivals here. Uh, well, you and I, David, last year saw that... Um, uh, the Harry Dean Stan documentary, which is yeah. just now on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, um, and that was yeah. a whole year ago. And I, I saw um, Ernest and Celestine last year. Yeah, me too. And it just came out. I think largely because it was um, nominated for an Oscar. But yeah, but by the time it came out, and got nominated for an Oscar. It had um, Americans. They did do or, that, or at least English speakers. Yeah, but when yeah when we would have I didn't see it with you, but at the festival last year it was in French. It was in French. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if you and I. I'm trying. I'm wondering if you and I saw anything this year that would have overlapped, but I'm not sure that um, we did. Um, the, oh wait, did you see the the young Kieslowski? I didn't. Okay. Uh, well, I'll talk about that one next. Yeah. It's, it's besides they came together. I think the young Kieslowski 
Yeah, I was going to say it's the only other non-documentary, but there is another one. We'll get to that one later. Um, oh, my. This is... <laughs> but The Young Kisowski is, on the surface, a movie that is custom-made to annoy the shit out of me. <laughs> but I actually really liked it, because it's basically, it's just this sort of upper-middle-class uh, white kid coming of age, like, but kind of sad about it type of, uh, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mal- malaise. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but like comedy. Oh yeah. But also with a certain, like, oh. cause I hated, uh, what was the one, the water park one last year, way, way back. I didn't like that much either. Uh, yeah, I didn't like that. Um, anyway, um, that whole like post garden state sort of thing, except for with younger yeah. people. Um, anyway, that's what I thought this was going to be, but I saw it anyway, uh, mostly on the strength of... Um, it's a, the story is about a guy and a girl. They're in college. They're both virgins. They lose their virginity to one another. He loses her phone number afterwards, and then when he finally, when she finally gets in touch with him a few months later, it's because she's pregnant. Mm. Um, and so it's... Even though she's the one pregnant, the movie is more about him and about him being this... Uh, incredibly intelligent, but kid who's also so sheltered that he doesn't, he keeps trying to make these gestures of standing up and being a man. And it's sort of a one step forward, two step back thing. He keeps retreating into this not mannishness because he's been sheltered for so long. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's sort of, it's, so it's, it's, it's a definitely a coming of age story. It's about him learning to be, uh, self-reliant and uh being a reliable person uh but it's also really funny but the uh, what i was going to say is the main reason i saw it was on the strength of the actors who play the parents of the two her her dad single dad is played by james legro his hey, right. his parents are played by josh molina and melora walters okay mm. that, uh, and they did really help the movie a lot but the kids uh the kids are good the jokes are good uh it's a movie that really uh, works. It didn't, you know, it's not going to end up in my top 10 probably mm. of the year. Uh, cause it's a little, you know, a little predictable. And also I think it lets him off the hook or maybe not the movie. I, I think she, the pregnant girl lets him off the hook for his like childish behavior a little too much. Mm. It's as if, it's as if she knows how the movie's going to end, you know? Like, she knows that eventually he's going to come around and be a good guy. So it's okay that he keeps disappearing for weeks at a time while she's fucking pregnant with his twins, you know? Of course it's it is, twins. Uh, it is what I, uh, what I have come to call Aaron Brockovich syndrome, which, <laughs> in which the supporting characters read the script and realize, oh, this isn't about me. I better be pretty accommodating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to be the antagonist. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit of the... But I guess... Now, did you see The Well... I was going to see the well, and then okay. uh, it was at nine forty-five at night, and I went home and went to bed. <laughs> um, so I didn't see the well either. But apparently, the girl, the pregnant girl in Young Kieslowski, is also in the well. Oh, okay. oh wow, she's taken LA Film Fest by storm. Yeah, it sounds like. Um, and uh, when I mentioned this on my, I mentioned the Young Kieslowski in my podcast with Paul Goble, and I made sure to mention it's not about Christoph Kieslowski. And Paul made fun of me because. He was like, who would assume that? But in this room and this listenership, All he, th- everyone everyone would assume that it has something to do with Krzysztof Kieslowski. It has nothing to do with him. It's not mentioned <laughs> even once. I think it's just a clever, uh, like a fun title that's yeah. meant to grab the attention of people like it's us. Like, it's like a faux backstory to him. Like, like, uh, what was that? George Lucas in love. Yeah. 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 That's, I did like based on the title, I thought it was a documentary about like his formative years or something like that in Poland. Yeah. Yeah, no. This I mean, is there's nothing like it. a coming of age story <laughs> in Poland. Um, 
So yeah, again, I don't think you and I saw. We didn't. No, any of the uh, same stuff. Um, we did, well, we saw they came together. Oh yeah, yes, that's right. Um, but other than, other than that, I don't think so. I saw the other two things I saw were um, foreign films, which I was very excited about. Um, the, the thing that I love about these type of film festivals is most of the time I don't know what any of these movies are about. And I, I only just glance at the little blurbs about them because I don't, I kind of yeah. don't want to know. I'm at a and, place where it's like, I can go see whatever the hell title sounds yeah. interesting. And yeah, we, and we talked about, um, when Tyler and I did our, uh, LA film fest preview episode, we talked about the difference between LA film fest and AFI fest, mm-hmm. which is the other big Los Angeles based festival. And AFI fest is great in its own way, but AFI fest takes place in November and it's sort of like best of the year. Like it, it's all the stuff that has been playing festivals. Oh yeah, I mean every year, and a lot of it has distribution. Not all of it, but a lot of it does. Yeah, and so it's stuff you've. If you're people like us who know who Kieslowski is, you've probably been reading about these movies all year. LA Film Fest is the opposite. There's yeah. most of the things you don't know anything about. And I try to do some research, but I mentioned Life and Life, Life and Mind of Mark DeFriest was one where I just decided like I'm here. What's the next movie that starts? Yeah, totally. And that's what I went to. They do mm-hmm. a good job of making sure stuff doesn't necessarily start like at the same time as something mm-hmm. else. So. I mean, it, maybe it's a half an hour different, so you do have to pick one or the other, but they give you and, and shows on multiple days. Yeah. And I, I didn't see this movie, but, uh, my friend who saw, are you ready for this? 19 movies at this festival. I think that's, I think I did that last year, 19 or 20. I, th- I maybe only did seven or eight last year. I just don't have the stamina to watch that many <laughs> movies and that many days. But, um, th- that movie that, uh, Mamie Gummer was in, uh, you know, Meryl Streep's daughter. Yeah, that's, I said we'd get to it later. Oh, okay. That well, was the other narrative of myself. Well, then we'll get to that in a minute. But that, that one had a third screening added because the first two did so well. Uh, well, good for it. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I randomly chose. I like titles that I don't. I from the title don't know what it's about. At, at AFI Fest last year, I went and saw a movie called the uh, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears, uh-huh. <laughs> and it was weird. And I was very pleased with that. Um, I saw an Icelandic film called um, Of Horses and Men or Of Men and Horses. I can never remember which. Uh, I think it's Of Horses and Men. Yeah, it's alphabetical. Yes, <laughs> I think you're right. Um, and it's uh, it's this weird kind of pseudo comedy about this little town in uh, Iceland that is a horse community. They raise horses. Everybody seems to have a horse and it's, it's kind of about how this town is very petty almost, but the horses kind of have to just endure every little vignette. Cause you go, it goes around the town and, and you follow different people and stuff, but every vignette opens with like a fading in on the eyeball of the horse. That is the main character of this, whatever vignette it is. Um, and it's, it's surprising. It's funny, so it's but kind of, it's kind of like the, what's the Robert Brisson film, uh, a Hassard Balthazar about the donkey. Yes. That's, sort of like that. Yeah. It's about all the different people who come in contact with the donkey. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of like that. I mean, and it's like, um, it sets up right away that all these people are, they like spy on each other. Like the, there's a, a guy in town who raises a horse that is like the fastest horse in the town. And he's very proud of that. And he goes to, to court this single mother, across town and like the opening is him like getting the the bridle and the saddle on this horse and then riding it but he is too tall for this horse because these are not particularly big horses i guess that's it's the different breed of horse but and it is running i don't know if you've ever seen a horse gallop but with each leg like like trotting really fast is basically what it looks like and so he's running this horse is (laughs) running it just looks like it's 
scrambling for its life, which is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> um, but everyone like around the, in the Valley, they're all like watching with So you can see like the, the sun reflecting off of their binoculars and then opens, I mean, it, it opens the movie essentially while he's in courting the mother, her like wild stallion horse is like, got its eye on his, mare uh-huh. and so it gets out of the pen and when he's the the man is tr- trying to ride back home uh the the stallion mounts <laughs> the the other horse and he's sitting on the horse <laughs> while the stallion's doing its thing and it's just kind of everyone's like you know quiet and stuff and then uh he eventually is he's so embarrassed that he commits an act of violence against his own horse Ooh. and that kind of you're like wow okay and then that kind of sets the tone where it's these people who clearly enjoy horses. And they, and they say at the end of the film that everybody who's in the film raises horses and like no horse is actually in any way harmed. Um, but they do a really good job of making it seem like they are. And so like, but they save the warning till the end. Yeah. I always think of like uh, Amores Peros, which has the right. thing at the very beginning, yeah. letting you know, no dogs were harmed. Yes. No, this was at the, this was at the end. And there were people at the screening who were like scoffing, like the, the third time something horrible happens to a horse. They go, Oh, I hear people behind me. And it's just like, yeah, I guess. I mean, that's, this, it's a different country and all this stuff. I was trying to think of like a way to make it all okay in my brain. And then that came up at the end and I was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> I don't have to be horrible and angry about this movie. Have you ever heard any of the stories about the adventures of Milo and Otis? Oh yeah. Oh, like, oh boy. 12 different cats and dogs died or something like that. Well, probably it, more than that. The cat was, the, which one is, which one is the cat? Milo wrote okay. Milo. They went through dozens of Milo's. Yeah, and that is so depressing. Because people me. who don't know this movie, because it, it, you can't watch it anymore because of all the animal yeah, yeah. cruelty. It's about a dog and a cat floating down a river. <laughs> yeah. So these fucking animals drowned. That's yeah. what happened in the making of this movie. Yeah, and they would like, it, it would be delightful were it an animated film. Uh-huh. And then, you know, when you see characters like go over a waterfall, and it's like, oh, peril. Yeah, it's like they could die. Well, <laughs> the characters don't. It's, it's easy to do these fun stunts when you literally don't give a shit about the stuntmen. And we should have seen that coming because they they get an orange tabby and a pug, the two animals that look the most same. Any yeah. one animal you grab right. looks exactly the same as the other ones. Yeah, it's oh. it's so depressing to hear. About it's it. oh yeah, and that's the thing. I feel bad laughing about it. The reason I laugh is because it is just so blatant. Yep. And when the, when the, it finally came out that this this was the behind the scenes, you know, everybody, including me, was like, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> how could I have not? I mean, I was a kid, so I wasn't thinking in those terms. But like, how could how could anyone not think this? It's, well, not, like, it's physically not possible. I mean, especially when you're a kid, but you're trained as a film goer. You see something bad happen to a character yeah. and then they're in the next scene and you're like, oh, they were fine. Yeah. But and you see it, it's the same thing, but it's like, no, you can replace these animals very, yeah. very easily, unfortunately. And you watch a John Waters film and no, Divine is actually actually eating literal feces. Mm-hmm. He's the only he's doing it. He's the only one doing it. What's the last John Waters movie? Um, Pecker. Was it Pecker? No, <laughs> no. Was it a dirty shame? Or was it oh, it was a dirty shame. Maybe. Yeah, because he didn't do the hairspray remake, right? No, no, okay. no, it didn't. That's uh, who did that? Mark Waters? I don't know. Mark Waters, who's that? I'm, I'm thinking of well, who's the You're guy thinking of Roger Waters 
from Mark Waters did. Um, you're actually just thinking of John Waters. <laughs> <laughs> Mark oh, Waters did it. Mean Girls. Oh, okay. But I maybe that's probably why I'm thinking. It's probably the last name that makes me think that he did had something to do with hairspray as well. Uh, the last yeah, name, it, the last name makes me feel like well, obviously they wouldn't go with somebody with the same last name and not go with John Waters. Uh, I apologize for turning. Adam Shankman directed. Harry's Who is Spray. that? That name sounds familiar. Uh, he's this guy, <laughs> just some <laughs> asshole. <laughs> um, I, I kind of like the Hairspray movie. I didn't um, see it. I mean, it's not as good sounds, as the John Waters movie. But. Sounds catchy and fun. Um, uh, I'm sorry that I turned your uh, your discussion of this very interesting sounding film mm-hmm. to. Uh, uh, eventually arriving at a dirty shame, which I didn't see, but I heard was just awful. It was not good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but of horses and men. Of horses and men. Good. It was really interesting. And, and um, it's interesting to note that everybody involved in the film either raised horses themselves because some of the actors in it, uh, I found out, I mean, cause they're all Icelandic and um, a couple of them were, are fairly famous Icelandic actors um, who I maybe looked familiar to me, but I wouldn't know why. Um, but it's kind of it's this weird like it's this a pseudo comedy because there's another guy uh um who um is a you find out is a drunk and he drives a, a jeep as fast as he can because he see he sees a russian like freighter in in the in the water mm-hmm. out there and so he drives as fast as he can toward a stable steals some guy's horse uh and rides the horse out into the water the horse is in the water to get up onto the ship <laughs> so that he can buy vodka because there's no vodka in Iceland or wherever they live in Iceland. There's no vodka. And they're like, uh, the, they're like, well, you have to drink only a little bit and you have to, you know, cut it with something. You have to have a chaser. You cannot drink it by itself. It's too strong. And he was like, oh, okay, but they're, they're speaking in English to each other, but neither of them speak English all that well. No. So they don't really understand. And so eventually he does very quickly drink himself to death because he drinks the whole <laughs> bottle really fast. And so that it's kind of weird because, um, for literally every horse character that dies, they're not really characters, but they're, mm-hmm. you kind of see the whole thing for every horse that dies. A human character also dies and the mm-hmm. human deaths are always funny and the horse deaths are always tragic. And I think that was mm-hmm. an interesting way to do it where it's like these people just are, uh, are weird and petty and stupid and the horses are the ones who have to bear the brunt of the whole you know yeah they're they're you know pet they are pack animal they are you know life-saving thing in a certain point and it, it's good I, I really enjoyed it it's um it's short that's the other thing about all the movies that i saw and most of the movies that they programmed they're all around 90 minutes or less which i thought yeah. was great yeah yeah oh uh, yeah well, like that one of my favorite ones that i saw we'll keep in the realm of uh, foreign documentaries was probably in about 75 minutes. It was called Walking Underwater. Hmm. And it was about... Uh, uh, now I'm going to mess up the name of this tribe, but I think they're called the Bajau, and they live around, like, sort of the Indonesia and the Philippines area. But they are citizens of no nation, hmm. um, which uh, is sad for them because their way of life is disappearing. They're fish... You know, they are traditionally fishermen going back, you know, hundreds of, hundreds of years. Um and um their life you know you see like the sort of uh, i guess beachside shanty town where they live and it butts right up against this resort where uh, all these uh very you know wealthy americans and europeans are coming to do you know to uh go snorkeling and all this stuff but most of the movie takes place out on the water where it's this one guy who he makes his living um doing what's called compression diving which is um he has a 
long tube, very long plastic like rubber tube or whatever, hooked up to uh, like an air compressor. He puts it in his mouth and then d- spends as long as it takes down underwater breathing through this, breathing air and getting air in through this tube and hunting like shooting spears at fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's apparently very dangerous. Um, I don't know if it's because you can drown it because you can get the bends or whatever because this thing's this compressed air is. Yeah. Sh- you know, and there's monsters underwater. And there's that's the underwater. other thing. Yeah, there are. They're called fish. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. That's, uh, underwater is where no one should be. No. So it's mostly this guy, this uncle, taking his nephew out um, for like a five day trip out on the boat, and they're sleeping on beaches in these like so, uh, uninhabited islands out in the uh, you know tiny islands out there, and you know hunting and fishing and uh, building fires and stuff. Anybody and gathering? Anybody doing uh, any gathering? Not a whole lot of gathering. <laughs> just the two of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they're, um, he's essentially, he's or ostensibly like teaching his nephew this way of life. Uh, and for the longest time, we don't see anyone but these two we, and, and a lot of fish and nature. And the photography is beautiful. Mm. Just so gorgeous. Um, and it's just them talking to each other. Uh, and this kid's like 11 years old and is a chain smoker. <laughs> um, uh, and then like at one point, like the, a piece of their engine breaks and they have to go into like the nearest, like not, not their little town where they live, which we see later, but an actual like city. And it's like, it's so jarring after, you know, to see, uh, you know, motorcycles and smoke and just all this, uh, industrial stuff. Um, and they seem so out of place there and then they go to there and then at the end, and at the end they end up back at their town and it's the uncle guy's friend at one point has a conversation with this kid who's just been five days learning this way of life basically saying you should go to school like this isn't going to be lasting much longer this way mm-hmm. of life it is it's uh, an incredibly beautiful movie and also a very uh sobering mm-hmm. one uh but it was fantastic it was even in 75 minutes it's very slow moving which is fine with me mm-hmm. but was not fine with the guy sitting next to me it was so it was so it was almost like you wrote a sketch about a character's two characters where the girlfriend drags the boyfriend to an art movie like it was without even them having to say anything that's clearly what was going on she was interested he was not he didn't have his phone he kept his phone on for the first few minutes of the movie until she in like hushed and harsh tones told him to shut it off and put it away then he spent the movie like leaning back and then he'd uh, he'd, like shift around Like, he was so bored. And then he literally leaned forward onto his, like, putting his elbows on his knees to, like, watch the movie. Like, very, like, making a big show of, like, trying to stay awake or whatever because he was so bored. If if this woman is listening to Battleship Retention, <laughs> and I can only assume that she's an avid fan, of course, <laughs> fucking break up with that guy. Like, yeah. what an asshole. Yeah. Like, just sit for 75 minutes. I don't exactly. care if you're bored. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that drives me to think about anything else. Have you ever been bored? Everyone knows how to think about stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just, but I do wonder. I wonder if, uh, you know, these days, all of our coping mechanisms for boredom are phones mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And she said no to that one. So now it's like, oh, I now I've got two options. I can watch this bullshit walking underwater movie. <laughs> Or I could go inside my own brain, and I don't want to do that because I'm I don't want to I don't want to examine myself. Yeah, clearly so, somebody like that probably wouldn't. Right, and just who knows? I've been. You know what though? That's not okay. The sto- I haven't told this story in a long time, but w- when David and I went and saw um, the Werkmeister Harmonies 
for the first time. Hey, that's a long movie. It is a long movie. And we had just driven from, it, you know, it's only a three-hour drive, but we had driven from uh, St. Louis. It was, and then I think I had driven to St. Louis, so that's another, oh, no, from St. Louis is like a five-hour drive. Where did you guys end up? Uh, Chicago. Oh. Since we lived in Chicago. Yeah. And it was had New we Year's. driven back? No, I think, you know what? I think, I think we, we actually, back. I think we took Southwest. So I drove to St. Louis, and then you and I took okay, Southwest to Chicago. I was exhausted. You were tired. It was New Year's Eve, I think. It was. Or, or New Year's Day. I and don't this remember. This was our idea. Yeah, let's do this. And uh, I was so tired, and this movie is slow moving. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, and I was so furious not at anybody i mean david didn't force me or anything i chose to go i was so furious and i was angry at the movie (laughs) like be shorter or move faster but i couldn't and i was like i'm just gonna go i'm going to sleep you know what that's screw this movie i'm going to sleep but something if something is being shown in front of me on a screen i'm not gonna sleep i'm just gonna sit there and watch it and i was so angry and so tired at the end of it and then Literally, then within a day or two, getting then then getting sleep, thinking back on the movie, be like that movie's actually pretty. Like, <laughs> I thought it was pretty good, but just, but even in that moment, I don't think like every bit of anger was in my head. I don't think I was like, <sighs> I wasn't like making yeah, a big stink about. I didn't uh, notice, and that's a that's a what two hours and twenty minutes, pretty long, know, probably longer than that, maybe. Uh, See, that doesn't sound that long to me. No, not anymore. No. Still. Not when freaking Dark Knight Rises is 2.45. Oof. Oof. Um, but it's to the credit of Walking Underwater, the, even this guy wasn't able to break the spell of how good, how much I like this movie. Mm. So, All right. Uh, the other one that I saw was called uh, Joy of Man's Desiring. Which I would, love the name. Which, yep, great. Um, it's like that sequels. color. That's like the color of uh, what is it? The color of the body's tears. The or strange color of the body's tears. Oh god! And no, it's and it's it's a Belgian film, so it was in French. So it was mm. like Le Tran. I can't do it. <laughs> I thought it was just a like a sequel to the Joy of Cooking. Yeah, like, that's what it was. <laughs> Julia Child's like How to Please a Man. The strange <laughs> color of your body's tears. That's not Julia Child. I don't know who that was. <laughs> It uh, is someone, but I'm I'm trying to figure out who it is. It's it might be a Monty Python. Is character. it Dame Edna? Maybe <laughs> no, sort of. It's it's a Monty Python character for sure. Um, this was a, about seventy six ish minutes. It was really short, but it was um, it was a French Canadian thing, um, and, and it was interesting because it was was it a documentary or was it scripted? I have no idea. Um, it's kind of a mixture. I th- clearly the people in it worked at the place that the movie is about. And it's basically, it's a factory in Quebec. I don't know what they make. It's this, it must be huge. Um, and you just kind of follow or not even follow, just watch people at work for a long period of time. And then like, there'll be breaks and you'll see like just people talk to each other about whatever. A couple people talk about the job and how he's, you know, one guy's like, you know, uh, I'm doing, ex- I love this job. People say, think it's monotonous working this machine. I love this machine. It's, it's the guy in the corner doing all the paperwork. That's boring. I love what I'm doing. And uh-huh. then, I thought that was kind of interesting. And then it opens with this, this woman who, and who shows up again throughout the film and then, uh, is in the end. She basically is like the weekend manager or whatever. Um, but it's like a monologue. She's turning, uh, toward the camera, like over her shoulder, 
and it's it's a very like close up, and she's just kind of talking about like what it's like to I don't know what like to to date her or something like that. It's really I was not sure what she was talking about, but it was like either to the filmmakers about here's what I want you to do when you're here, or just talking in in general about here's what happens when you're on a date with me. Like I was very <laughs> confused about what exactly she was talking about. Um, but you just kind of follow, you know, people. And then there's one guy toward the end, it starts to become more of a narrative, but you just kind of see people doing things throughout this factory. Um, and one guy, um, starts just like laying down and he's just like, I'm depressed. I don't want to work here anymore. And so people start talking to him about that. And then there's a, a girl who shows up and is talking to people and you don't really know what her deal is. But then you find out that she doesn't actually work there. She just needs a job. Mm-hmm. And so she's just like, if I'm just here, maybe they'll start paying me that kind of thing. Um, so it was really interesting and, um, really quiet and, you know, 75 minutes was perfect for it. Cause it was, it's, you know, almost dialogue free for huge periods of time. You just kind of, it takes you a minute to get into it, but then you get into the rhythm of just listening to this like industrial hum basically of, of the work that these people are doing. And then you see them at lunch and then you go, it's a big enough factory that there's a laundry service there. So like you see the women doing the laundry in the, in the basement and stuff like that. It, I was fascinated by, it. again, no idea what, what they build. Um, <laughs> Widgets. So, something like that. Yeah. Like there's a guy who like, you know, bends metal like that's you know gets a machine puts a piece of metal in does the thing and it bends like that's his whole <laughs> strong man there's like hinges and stuff involved yeah, yeah it's a circus yeah, yeah. you're talking <laughs> maybe about that's what it was yeah <laughs> i'm sorry that's probably why it was a multicolored tent that they were in the whole time <laughs> admittedly uh, the guy uh the, the circus accountant does have the bo- most boring job it's the worst job yeah nobody wants that job <laughs> no uh, <laughs> when you run away to join the circus you don't think you're going to be the accountant <laughs> And you get uh, extorted a lot by, <laughs> by traveling horrible people. Um, uh, well, let's uh, 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 just only a couple more that I really wanted to talk about. But I also, but uh, I wanted to talk for a second about the LA Film Fest experience because mm-hmm. I really, I rather like it down there at that time of year. Yeah, it's a lot of it, it's fun, and also everyone's at the Yard House. Everyone, because there's really nothing else around there. Well, I mean, if you wanted to walk another block, there's like the Mexican restaurant or whatever. But uh, really, the Yard House is the closest restaurant, and that's where everyone goes, it seems like. Uh, And I always, uh, I'm not a fan of the Yard House particularly. Their food's not that good. Mm -mm. Uh, But they have a good beer selection, and I always have a good time hanging out at the Yard House. Did you, were you at the Yard House a lot this year? I was there a couple times. Um, actually, when I met you uh, for a drink that I had gone there for lunch that day, because <laughs> what else, you know, and I had uh, pastrami sandwich sliders, which were great. Really? Yeah. Okay. So if you're <laughs> finding yourself at a Yard House. Um, I enjoyed the uh, the sweet potato fries. Mm, yeah. But I, I, I asked for ranch instead of, it comes with a maple bacon dip, which mm. sounds good. Well, not to Tyler, but it sounds good, but I don't like it for mm. some reason. Hmm. I'm not so trying I, I just, I just went with ranch. Ranch is always a good, good way to go with, with a fry. Yeah. I really, any kind of thing to dip in, you know, as, uh, <laughs> up here, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh I'm gonna... it's just so, so innocuous. <laughs> I mean, if you like, if you like dipping uh, fries, you know, really, you can dip a fry into anything. It's pretty good. And or just, you can dip anything into ranch, really. Yeah, I just I just really enjoyed the tone that the conversation took the last minute and a half. Ranch is the typo negative of <laughs> dipping sauces. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, but I, I, I also wanted to say, uh, in case, because I'm 
I'm hoping that the people from LA Film Fest are listening because we're saying all these nice things. Yeah. But while I have your attention, LA Film Fest people, there's one thing I want to say, which is that that I know you had a problem with. Mm-hmm. Badge pickup has to be extended. Absolutely. It is really inconvenient, the hours that are available. There's basically, there were two days that I could have gone before I ended up being able to go. And that's because badge pickup is only between 10 and six. Yeah. Um, the days of the festival, some of us work till six, so we can't pick stuff up. Yes. It's, uh, I took a long lunch from work and like, yeah, drove from my work to downtown. It ended up taking me probably longer than the hour that I should have taken for lunch. Uh, and um, that was the only way I was able to do it, but I had to use my car and pay for parking just to pick up my pass. Yeah, uh, it's very annoying. If they they should extend badge pickup, absolutely. And and like on the Saturday, um, you know, my friend was in town for that, and he's the one who saw those movies. And so I was going to go and meet him on Saturday evening. Um, I was done with work by four forty-five, but there's no way I could have gone from where I live in the valley downtown. Right. And by that amount. Of, and yeah. Part, yeah, they would have been ridiculous and I, I still wouldn't have made it. So, yeah, if you, if you could make it a little easier uh, for pickup, maybe even just an hour later. Yeah, that would, great. you know, do a lot. All right. I'm Other than that, great festival. Yeah, fantastic festival. Uh, I do want to mention the one I've been uh, sitting on here. One of the best things I saw. Are you going to end with the worst one? Should we get that out of the way? Maybe. Sure. Okay. It's called Echo Park. It stars Mamie Gummer, which is great. I love mm-hmm. Mamie, Mamie Gummer. But it's it's uh, it's really bad i really did not like it what's it about at all it's about a woman who lives in beverly hills and she is oh. bored with her you know prescribed uh cookie cutter beverly hills rich girl life mm-hmm. so she leaves her boyfriend and she moves to echo park to find herself david that's across the town <laughs> yes that's on the that's on the opposite side yes, of town exactly um I mean, kind of. It's actually not. It's actually not yeah, at all. Yeah. To a Beverly Hills person, that's probably as far. Yeah. That's probably even further east. Anyway, I don't want to. <laughs> Echo Park is inland, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the inland empire. I don't want to uh, make fun of Beverly Hills people. Um, I do. It's fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually kind of like that. I prefer Beverly Hills to some of the other uh, fancier neighborhoods. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? So, Echo Park. But So, not only the premise already is stupid because it's like someone's weird idea of what (laughs) echo park is uh that it's not well does she move Um, there because in in her eyes it's like a rundown possibly scary place or because it's like it's the land of free spirits yeah it's because she and the filmmaker think that echo park is the most authentic place that's ever happened and so uh here's here's and I, I don't want to spend too long it's the unencumbered ragging. silver lake <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to spend too long ragging on the film but i will this will give you an idea of what the movie we're talking about here um the male lead is a guy um a a, a british expat uh, who has to move back to to london because work is dried up here he has a job waiting for him uh there uh who loves echo park he embodies everything about echo park and um he's moving so he's gonna He's selling his furniture on Craigslist. So she meets him at a coffee shop to then go up, walk up to his place and look at his couch. As they're walking from the coffee shop up to the place, every person he passes, he's like, oh, hey, Ray. Oh, hey, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Lorenzo. Oh, hey. Like, like <laughs> it's like, like it's like it's Mayberry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is the filmmaker and the film's idea of what Echo Park is. 
it's uh, and that that, oh, that, that oh happens less than fifteen minutes in, and that <laughs> that sets the stage for what we're talking. Paid about. for by the Echo Park Tourism Bureau. <laughs> yeah, I cannot think of a more <laughs> insular type of thing than everybody associated with the film probably lives in Beverly Hills <laughs> and is like. All right. Uh, I like stories like this. I'm not going to live it. Certainly not. Uh, but I do enjoy them. Uh, where can we, I don't want to drive too far. And so where's a place? I don't want to go to the valley. It's too hot there. And just like it, it just. Yeah, it's. Did uh, they think I, like, this is that yeah. is astounding to me. There was a. Go ahead. I was going to say there's a, there was a whole spate of movies this year that were like movies set in L.A. about L.A. Yeah, and stuff like that. L.A. Muse. L.A. Muse. I saw a couple of them. Uh, um, this was not the good one. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine, that friend saw several from that, um, cause he misses LA. He doesn't live here anymore. And he said, I think mo- all of them that he saw weren't good. And, and uh, well, when I saw that, I don't know, isn't a specifically, uh, LA based, uh, but a lot of it was shot here is a, um, I guess you would call it a documentary, but I described it in my review or my write up is more of like an experimental film essay called dreams are colder than death basically attempts in an hour to get across through interviews and sounds and images uh what it is like to be a black american 50 years after the uh civil rights act of 1964 Mm. um it's a you know it's a lot to bite off uh and uh, again like i said in the review it's better that he went for how it feels than actually trying to be literal about what it what how, what things are like because you couldn't do that in an hour. Uh, but it is a really impressive film hmm. um, and has a lot of a lot of it was a lot of the images were clearly shot in Los Angeles. I think that's why it ended up in the uh, hmm. in that section of the festival. But that was quite good. I don't know that one seems to be. It seems like it's played a bunch of festivals and will play more. I'm not sure what kind of release a movie like that yeah will ever get. Well, it used to be like the independent film channel back when it was the independent film channel used to just play kind of weirder films mm-hmm. like that. Um, shorter films. Cause I think that documentary is only like 70 some minutes. It's not going to get a, a, a wide release with that kind of running time. Right. It's I mean, stuff like this at this point is like made for Netflix watch instant. Pretty much. Um, yeah, which I, is, I which isn't bad. Yeah. I mean, it means that people can watch it and they, and I feel like Netflix watch instant is, is perfect for, uh, for low level documentaries. And I mean, low, like low budget, not low yeah. ambition. Not or low anything quality, like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but like low budget documentaries, because there's something about those that as you're just scanning through, they're usually admittedly a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. They may not require the kind of investment that a narrative film, certainly not a time investment, but maybe uh, investment of attention, that a narrative film might require uh, in as far as how people think of them, they, they can be infinitely more compelling, but, uh, and so my, my hope anytime I hear about a documentary that just like it spent like 15 minutes in theaters or something like that, it's Mm -hmm. just like, I'll bet that shows up (laughs) on Netflix and sure enough it does. And I'm always very excited about it. And Mm. I think they do well. I hope this one does. I don't, again, I don't know if it, if documentary is the right word, uh, cause it is very impressionistic and experimental in its approach, but it's called dreams are colder than death. Um, anyway, the documentary I've been waiting to get to, I don't okay. know. So did you have more that you want nope, to talk about? That's okay, all I the documentary I've been wanting to get to, uh, the filmmaker, Deborah Granick, you know her from having made winter's bone. Mm-hmm. She made her first ever documentary. It's fantastic. It's called stray dog. And it is just a portrait of a 
uh, just the one, this one man whose nickname is Stray Dog. He is a biker and a Vietnam vet who uh, runs a small trailer park in the rural parts of Br- uh, Branson, Missouri. Um, so clear, I don't know if this was during shooting Winter's Bone, if she met him, uh, you know, or, or met yeah. that group of people because they shot that near Branson. Um, and it's just about his his life. And I think I love that it played a place like L.A. Film Festival because you can't it's Los Angeles and it's the art house crowd. You can't get further from this guy's milieu yeah. than the LA film festival, at least without, not without leaving America. Uh, and so it seems like I love the idea that it played to people admittedly, maybe even like myself who have certain ideas about people who live this kind of life, this rural life that sounds like a nightmare to me. Uh, and you make assumptions about their, uh, morals or their politics or whatever. Uh, and, it does what a great documentary does. It humanizes him over the course of a hundred minutes or so. And I haven't seen a more, uh, honest, uh, portrait. Uh, and I haven't seen a more emotional film in such a long time. I, uh, will, uh, freely admit I cried multiple times hmm. during this movie because one of the defining things about, uh, Ronnie is his real name. Uh, the stray dog, um, is his having been a Vietnam vet. And that's, Something, you know, his job is running this trailer park, but something what he does with his life and what his like biker crew does is they go on, you know, uh, drives to the Vietnam uh, Memorial in D.C. or they go and they do things like visit uh, Gold Star mothers or widows of people who have died in the current wars. And like they go, they make friends with this one woman. Again, this is, I think, maybe included specifically to show, um, to, to subvert your expectations of what a uh you know fat southern drawling white like uh redneck type is like there's a black woman who whose daughter died uh i can't remember who was iraq or afghanistan um and they go to just to pay her a visit and end up becoming friends with her and then later when her house like her refrigerator her refrigerator leaked or something and her floor was being rotted out so these bikers go to this like uh, black neighborhood and fix this woman's floor for yeah. her. And it's like, all this stuff mm. is like so emotional to me. And it's such a part of his life. Um, and also his, uh, he was married to a woman he met in, um, Korea and he has, uh, a daughter or two by this woman who is not in the picture anymore. It's not clear if she has died or there's, but she's not around anymore. And he's remarried to a Mexican woman who has two grown, uh, I don't know grown, but like two teenage sons, still living in Mexico. And so his, one of his other things that he's doing with his life is, well, a learning Spanish and b trying to get his wife's sons legally into the country so that they can live with him and their mother. And, uh, uh, it's just a really fascinating, Hmm. uh, portrait of a man and his, his politics might be what you think they are, but he's still, um, uh, even if you disagree with him, as you know, like I'm saying, a lot of the people at the LA Film Fest probably yeah. do dis- disagree with his politics. Um, uh, but he's still a human being and actually a pretty remarkable one. It's a really, again, a, an incredibly emotional film. That's that's one thing that I like about certain filmmakers, and it certainly sounds like, I want to make sure, Deborah Granick? Granick, yeah. Granick. Um, it certainly sounds like that's what she is interested in is taking groups that frankly are portrayed pretty regularly in film usually as a stereotype or in a negative way and even if even in a positive way it's often stereotypically positive right yeah um and actually and she did it with winter's bone too that's why i found it so uh 
so refreshing is that there are still villains and mm-hmm. then but and just because you have that even though if I'm going to voice a dumb character I do usually do a southern accent which I feel terrible about um I should I should come up with another one I've started doing Southside Chicago as my dumb person <laughs> yeah, accent. It works pretty well. That, it, it was uh, like Long Island for a while. He's <laughs> talking like that gay. And now it's just become Chicago. Yeah. Maybe I, I think you can. I don't make fun of dumb people ever. Not with a voice anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you like to, you like to use your words. I like to just go into stereotypes. Uh, anyway, and so like. But but that just because you have that accent doesn't make you stupid. Like there's no stupid characters in Winter's Bone. Uh, everybody's and it's not like they're all churchgoers either or yeah. anything like that. And so um, and I, I I'm reminded I, on uh, more than one lesson we recently talked about uh, the Apostle, and I feel like the Apostle is one of the most honest depictions mm-hmm. of the South uh, that I've ever seen because. While admittedly, because of the the story being told, a lot of them are churchgoers and probably politically uh, right leaning. Uh, their life is not like it's not Mayberry essentially. Right, yeah, and um, and I remember Robert. And Duvall, it's also not defined by church and I don't know picketing outside abortion clinics. Like they right, have exa- yeah, full yeah. lives like everyone else. Absolutely, and. And then in some places, because it takes place in Louisiana, in some places, because you think of like, oh, the, you know, the race war is still alive and kicking in the South. It's like, well, uh, I don't think so. I I mean, there is a lot of there's there's some, but like in some small, I think there's a much bigger divide from a class standpoint. Like you get people in a in a kind of a if you'll pardon me, kind of a crappy small town, like in the apostle, you're much more likely to find people of various, uh, mm-hmm. races that have a lot more in common with each other and see themselves as equal, equally poor, you know, it seems yeah. to be the, the issue in that film. But, um, but anyway, and so, and I remember the, the commentary that Duvall said, was, he says, I, I wish so many of my Hollywood friends who are very quick to make movies about the South, I wish they would go to the South and just look around. Um, and I feel like something like Stray Dog, because you're right. If if any of the audience had a 10 minute conversation with the guy, they might come away from it saying, I don't like him. He's nothing. He's not the kind of person I hang out with. But Deborah Granick seems much more interested. And of course, documentaries are great for this. Yeah. In really getting to the core, because as much as as much as. You know, political political beliefs; those are deeply held. Religious beliefs, even more uh, deeply held. But there's something even even deeper than that that I think actually does unite literally yeah. everybody. And I think it's what it's about is empathy, yeah. and that's what uh, you know. I recently saw the Roger Ebert documentary uh, Life Itself, and one of Ebert's uh, famous quotes was that machines are or machines, movies are machines that generate em- empathy, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what Stray Dog can do. And also, I think Deborah Granick is saying that's, um, for all the other things that are true about Ronnie, he is an incredibly empathetic person to yeah. others. And that's one of the things that's so touching. He, Like I mentioned, she loves, she's like, she's enjoying surprising us with who Ronnie is. Yeah. But one of his, like, uh, causes is telling soldiers with, with PTSD to go to therapy, which is something that I think a lot of guys maybe think is, you know, uh, would be a sign of, of weakness or is not something that they 
uh, would subject themselves to, and it's it's a cause of his, and that's something that is. Uh, or they uh, might not even just think it's an it's yeah. necessary. It's like, oh, it's not that bad. But I also say there's also there's a lot of you know, given that it's about a bunch of uh, you know rednecks, there's a lot of comedy in the movie too. I'm sure. Actually, one of the funniest things isn't from the rednecks; it's from the two uh, his two Mexican stepsons who are. <laughs> Going through a Spanish to English dictionary or English to Spanish dictionary, trying to figure out what some of the words they've heard mean, and they're like, uh, "There's one. Look up the one word. There's, this is subtitled this, but look up the one word that Ronnie says all the time, pussy." And they look it up, and they're like, "A small cat." I don't think that's what it means. <laughs> anyway, oh, that's so. delightful. There's a, there's a there's a documentary that that reminds me of called uh, Searching for the Wrong-Eyed Jesus. Oh, you told me that about is, that. That uh, is, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's, among other things, it's the film that introduced me to the music of Jim White. Um, and, it's, and it's also committed to depicting the kind of South that you very seldom see in movies. And it's, and it's often very funny as well. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to uh, talk about. Well, we both loved They Came Together. Yeah, it's, man, that was funny. Uh, very funny. It's actually my favorite movie of the year so far. You know what's uh, interesting? I'm sorry. I, it's, I'm, I'm literally talking only about movies I've not seen here. Uh, well, I was going to end with one you have seen. Oh, okay. Oh, I sorry. I thought you were done. So uh, I'll hold off. Never mind. Uh, the, the last thing I want to talk about was uh, the, the first night I went to the festival. I think it was the second night of the festival. I went to an outdoor screening of two Buster Keaton shorts mm-hmm. or two Buster Keaton films. One, I guess they're both. Sh- I think of them as both shorts, but Sherlock Jr. is... A feature, I guess, for the time. At, at for the time, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Cops is twenty minutes. So they showed yeah. Cops and then Sherlock Junior. I had, of course, seen Sherlock Junior before. I had not seen Cops before. Yeah, uh, and I found it fantastic. Yeah, uh, we talked about it a little in the podcast, actually. I think because we talked about the stunts. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. And and Cops is a lot of fun just because uh, Buster Keaton. Uh, rather famously hated cops uh-huh. yeah, uh, like police officers uh-huh. uh, partially because he was uh, very upset about uh, the bad rap that uh, his buddy Fatty Arbuckle got and so he tended mm-hmm. to blame cops for that and so uh, so he liked so you know the, the whole Keystone cops I mean cops were often viewed as like silly characters in any silent comedy Buster Keaton he meant it he always meant it uh, he he took a lot of uh, he really relished getting to uh, knock them on their asses and stuff, uh, but yeah. If if I'll, I'll say this, if you are a fan of film, uh, then I feel like you almost have an obligation to watch Sherlock Jr. Mm-hmm. Like it is a, it's such a. First off, it's a love letter to the magic of film. There's a lot of fun trickery in there, um, but also it's just. Well, that trickery is it's really impressive oh, yeah. for the time and even I mean the, even this, now it's it's so pretty this, neat. there's a part uh, people who haven't seen it there's a part where he steps into a movie he he walks down the aisle and steps into a movie have you seen Sherlock yeah yeah he steps into the screen and then so he's in the screen but as the shots change of this movie he stays in the same place so he's yeah. suddenly standing he's standing in a desert and then all of a sudden he's like on the edge of a waterfall or whatever yeah. and it's seamless the yeah. way it's done. It's un- unbelievable. Um, although it also always makes me like in that scene, I wonder what is this movie they're watching. I've, I've it had has that. this like five minute section of just <laughs> nature for shots, so you can be in all these different locations. Yes, I've had I have had that thought. Yes, um, yeah, and it's just and also there's a little sequence. 
so that that's an that uh, that sequence especially is a nice little love letter to film and uh, a, a lot of experimentation with editing. Um, but uh, but there's also a sequence where it's not all one shot, but basically uh, Buster Keaton is shooting pool, mm-hmm. and there's one pool ball that is an explosive device. Yeah, and the whole thing, and he just has to hit it. That's it. And the humor from the scene comes from the fact that he t- he takes one shot after another. That ball stays in the exact same place the yeah. whole time. Now it's not so, and he's taking several shots. Yeah. Now it's not all one camera shot. Uh, it cuts back and forth, but every time it's there, it's usually he's taking about two or three shots. Yeah. And yeah. is an expert enough to know this is I. I I know exactly what to do to not hit that ball. It's insane. Mm. I love it. Yeah, it's it, surprisingly stressful. Absolutely, it is. Most of those movies, but uh, with him, are like surprisingly stressful in some yeah. well, some fashion. I'll repeat myself. I'm pretty sure I said this, and we were talking about Buster Keaton in a recent episode. That I think of him as one of the forefathers, not only of comedy but also of the action movie. Mm-hmm. Because oh yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, Sherlock Jr. has the motorcycle. I call it a chase scene, but for most of it, there's no one chasing him. Yeah. He's just on a mo- sitting on the handlebars of a driverless motorcycle going okay. through traffic and over mm. bridges and all this crazy stuff. But yeah. uh, anyway. Um, and yeah, in Cops, I mentioned on the podcast, uh, has a shot where he gets chased into the middle of the street by two bands of cops from either way. And he grabs hold of a passing car to get away from them. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, he really did that. It's yeah. pretty impressive. And the, and his body at that point, it looks like he's just gone limp. He looks like a rag doll. Uh-huh. But it's just – and that's the thing. You know – well, there's no there's no CG back yeah. then. Uh-huh. So I can't – I literally can't figure out how they did it except, of course, if he, he just were to did just it. grab <laughs> it, which is very possible. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, it was a good year at the LA Film Fest. I look mm-hmm. forward to next year. I look forward to uh, more drinks at the Yard House. We have talked about a lot of movies, so real quick, uh, just throw out, uh, like, let's say two titles each, like movies that people need to be on the lookout for. Well, Frank is getting a release in August, okay. um, uh, and if you get a chance to see um, Of Horses and Men, I would I would definitely say you should see that, because it's, it's weird and interesting, and just rest assured that no horses were harmed in the making okay. of that film. Uh, I'm going to go with the two documentaries, Stray Dog, which I, I have to imagine that Deborah Grenick's name will get it. Um, uh, distribution and the life and mind of Mark DeFriest, which again, I'm hoping that the star power of Scoot McNary and Shea Wiggum combined. Will, <laughs> <laughs> will Scoot and Shea. Scoot and Shea. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good place to end. Uh, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. Uh, that's where you find uh, this podcast, all the other podcasts in the BP fleet, including WTF Are You Watching? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find all our movie reviews there, including all my write-ups of the movies I saw at LA Film Fest this year. Um, and you can email us, David, at battleshipretension.com or Tyler at battleshipretension.com. Follow me, David, on Twitter at The Pretension. Follow Tyler at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at morethanonelesson.com. Anything going on this week? Yeah. Uh, the only thing I, oh, just, uh, we continue our series in, on the best pictures and we talk about Ron Howard's, uh, a beautiful mind and talk about how it's a perfectly fine film. It is, uh, it's amongst giants that year. That is a, right. 2001 is a wonderful year, especially in the best director category. And so that's, that's a little theme. That's kind of the theme but, uh, um, of that discussion. Roger Deakins though, right? Shot that. 
Uh, did he? I, I don't know. I want to say because he, he was nominated that year for um, Man Who Wasn't There. Well, now I got to look it up. But um, okay. I'm pretty sure. Sh- I feel like he, whoever shot A Beautiful Mind, that's what I think of when I think of that movie. Is how beautiful it looks. It is. It is a gorgeous film. Yes. Um, my other podcast is the uh, TV podcast. It's called. Yes, it was Roger Deakins. Okay, okay. Uh, it's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. That uh, is Paul, the king of TV, Goble, and me. Uh, we talk about two different shows each week. Uh, those change. This week, we'll be talking about the series premiere of HBO's The Leftovers, uh, which I watched, which is um, I have mixed feelings about. Mm-hmm. Most of them are that I'm very sad. <laughs> this is an incredibly sad show. <laughs> um, I know I shouldn't care about this sort of thing, but it's weird to have a show this sad premiere in June. I think just I'm trained by TV to not expect uh, to expect this sort of thing in the fall. Maybe well, uh, TV is a spherical circle. Shit, I was trying to yeah. do a, a true <laughs> detective yeah, thing and I failed. <laughs> yeah, um, I still have mixed feelings. You can uh, check in, um, but uh, I do love the James Blake song "Retrograde" that's in the trailer and used in the episode. I don't know if you guys know the song; it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other show we're talking about, which I haven't watched yet as of this recording, is the season two premiere of Nathan for You on Comedy Central, which I've heard nothing but astounding things about. Mm. And Paul told me I was stupid because I hadn't watched season one. So uh, that said, uh, hey, watch this. Um, Kyle, where can people find you and your work on the internet? Um, You can read all of my reviews and things at Nerdist.com. I have regular columns there about various things like Batman, the animated series. And uh, I'm doing a series about uh, British sci-fi television shows Uh, other than Doctor Who, because that's mostly what you should watch Black Mirror. I should now that you say that. Um, I will add it to the repertoire. I don't think there's any legal way for you to watch it, but oh. uh, I doubt that would stop you. <laughs> no. Um, there eventually becomes legal ways, usually after I've seen it. Um, uh, and then you can listen to the podcast, uh, WTF Are You Watching, uh, on this very fleet. Um, and uh, the most recent episode as we record this was uh, Lincoln, my my partner in crime and I talk about the hammer film, Captain Kronos vampire hunter, which is, uh, it's fun, like swashbuckly kind of horror movie, um, written by one of the guys who wrote most of the episodes of the Avengers, the old, you know, spy show. Uh, and then this coming episode, the one after that will be, uh, we'll have a guest and it will be about once upon a time in the West, which is, uh, you know, Sergio Leone film that I love and you should too. But, uh, we were talking about long movies. That movie is two hours and 46 minutes long. And I'm like, yeah, that the you know, yeah. two twenty doesn't seem like that very yeah. long anymore. And then windmills just creaking the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, now, let's see, David. When is the last time you were on Kyle's show? I've only been on once to talk about really the reflecting skin. The reflecting skin, yeah. Wow, like a month ago. Yeah. That's surprising. Two months to me. ago, something. which which came up. I don't know if you listened to our recent episode about character as metaphor. We talked about uh, Lincoln's reason for, reasons for not liking mm. the reflecting skin and his insistence on trying to make the characters make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't. Yeah. yeah. Well, and along those lines, I was most recently on talking, of course, about the Hulk Hogan vehicle, No Holds Barred. That's true. And none of those characters make sense either. No. <laughs> because they're, they're metaphors. Exactly. You have to tune into the episode to find out. It's what, a, yeah. Uh, well, you know what? I'll spoil it for you. Every character is a metaphor for stupidity. <laughs> so... That's it. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.